So our scripture reading this morning is once again from the gospel according to Luke. We've been looking at Luke for a number of weeks uh, because Luke records these things called songs, songs of Christmas. And we're looking at one more song of Christmas, probably a, a song that most people would not even recognize as one of the songs of Christmas, but historically the Christian church has recognized it as such. This is the song of Simeon. And it's recorded in Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verses 22 down through 35. The words are printed in your bulletin. If you don't have a Bible or a Bible app or something. And I will read this passage for us. Beginning at verse 22 of Luke chapter 2. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed... Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is God's Word. So as I mentioned, we were uh, making our way... Oh, just before I begin, Alice... I don't sometimes forget about this. There is a, a, an outline of the sermon in the back of the bulletin if you would like to follow along. Typically, we would um, take questions at the end of a message as well uh, in order to explore a little deeper or uh, answer, uh, clarify aspects of the message that maybe weren't as clear during the, the message itself. But uh, this morning, we will not. I am a little bit under the weather and uh, not as sharp as I would like to be, and I'd be afraid that I couldn't answer any questions because my brain's not working great. So out of fear of man, I will decline to answer questions this morning. But that is, uh, for those of you who are guests, that's typically something that we do do here at Grace Valley Church. Anyhow, it's called the Nunc Dimittis. We've been learning Latin the last few weeks too, right? Different names for all these songs in the Gospel of Luke, Simeon's song is called the Nunc Dimittis, which basically means this, now you are dismissing. That's what it means. And it's based on these words that Simeon speaks when he meets Jesus. He says, you now dismiss your servant in peace. 
And this song is the last song of Christmas that we're going to look at together this morning. And it's, it's unique among the songs of Christmas because the author or the singer uh, is different. We know so little about this singer in comparison to the others. Like when we looked at the Magnificat, when we looked at um, uh, the song of, of Zechariah, we, we had backstory, right? We knew something about these people and about the circumstances that they find themselves in, all that kind of stuff. We know almost nothing about this character, Simeon. We know from the text that he is righteous and devout. What does that mean? That means that he was serious about his faith. It means that he loved God. It means that he kept the law. It means that he practiced his faith in, in a devout way. He was not some sort of nominal Jew. No, he was a serious Jew. It doesn't say that he was a Pharisee, so it wasn't so much that he was a leader or necessarily uh, even uh, very knowledgeable in the law and very serious about keeping every jot and tittle of the law the way the Pharisees were. Rather, the, the, the idea is, is that Simeon was a very sincere believer. This is the kind of guy who, who really loved his Lord and really wanted to serve his Lord. The things that we don't know about him are things like, you know, what was this guy's job? I mean, he was in the temple, but we don't exactly know why he was in the temple. Uh, we don't know his age. It's typical for people to assume that he's an old man. Like when you picture him picking up the baby and all that stuff, you probably got, you know, you're thinking of a guy with nice long gray beard and, you know, looks like grandpa kind of thing. Uh, and that's understandable given the context, but we don't actually know if he was a really old guy. Maybe we feel that way because Anna, who comes along just after the text that we read, and she also pronounces a prophecy over this child, she, we're told, is old, so we, maybe we just assume they're both old. I don't know. Anyhow, we don't know if he's married. We don't know if he has children. We don't know any of that stuff. Here's one thing, however, that we do know, and man, is it something else. It's easy to miss, but it's the key to understanding the song of Simeon. This is the thing we know about him that is absolutely mind-boggling. Simeon is a person who knows when he's going to die. Or actually, let me put it more accurately. Simeon knows when he's not going to die. In verse 26, it says this. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. In other words, Simeon knew that there were certain conditions that had to be met in order for him to die. That he would see this long foretold Messiah, this Christ, this mysterious Old Testament figure that, that had been, been talked about for centuries and written about for centuries, that, that this, this Savior that was going to somehow reestablish the kingdom of Israel, somehow deliver God's people, it was all a little vague and they weren't sure exactly how it was going to work, etc., that this, the one, you know, the one would finally appear. And when the one appeared, he would then be allowed to die. That is some concept, hey, if you think about it. To know the things that have to happen before you can die. On this last 
day of 2017, I'm hopeful that we are all being a little bit, just even just a little bit, reflective. You know, there's not many times of year when people are seriously reflective, where they kind of take stock and they think about their lives and they think about the meaning of life and they ask the big questions and they wonder about existence and all that kind of stuff. It's a downer most of the time, so that's why we don't do it. But around the new year, it's one of those times where you have a shot at it. And so I want to take advantage of that this morning and talk to you about death. What a wonderful subject uh, on this Sunday morning. Ah, but it is. We're going to look at four things, actually. Because if you, if, you, if you understand death, Martin Luther said this, okay? In order to truly live well, you need to learn how to die well first. Weird concept, but this is what we're going to unpack this morning. That in order for us to live, we need to be able to face death. In order for us to, to blossom and flourish through life, we need to be able to understand our mortality and face the end of our lives. This is something that you need to reflect on now. I know there's like 15-year-olds here and 21-year-olds here and 20, you know, 30-year-olds. If you're under 30, you're probably thinking, this is bizarro. Thinking about death, I am very healthy I am strong, I am energetic, I don't creak like you do, guy. I don't want to think about that, but trust me, you need to think about that. That's what we're going to think about together this morning. We're going to look at four things. We're going to look at how death is actually an invasion of the enemy. We're going to look at how Simeon was not afraid of this invader because he did not fear death. We're going to look at how Jesus, the Savior that Simeon finally got to meet, deals with death, and then how you can face death with peace yourself. Those are the four things that we're going to try to look at together. So first of all, let's think about death. What is death? Death, death is an invasion. Today, in our modern Western culture, we do not want to consider death. We don't want to think about death. We don't want to reckon with death. And you might say, well, what's different about our modern context than, than in the past? Well, the fact is, is that in the past, people died a lot younger than they do today. So some of you, maybe even your grandparents, can tell you stories of how, you know, there were six kids in their family, but out of the six kids, you know, one of them died uh, in, in youth before they were five years old, and maybe uh, there were miscarriages or stillbirths, that kind of thing, because that was common. Uh, 50, even 50 years ago, certainly 70 years ago and 100 years ago, it was common that, that, that mothers died in childbirth, that children died in childbirth, that children died before they were five years old. In other words, by the time you were an adult, you had experienced death in your family, significant death in your family at some point. Do you know what a parlor is? You know how houses used to have parlors? You know what the parlor was for? You know, the, you know funeral parlor, where that comes from? It comes from the fact that in the olden days, they didn't have f funeral homes. And so when somebody died in your house, they were laid out in the parlor in your house. And people came for days to visit and to, to pay their respects. And, and you, when you were a four-year-old little Jimmy... You know, you were walking up and looking at this dead body and, and reckoning with death because it was in front of you. It was there. In our modern world, we have pushed 
the specter of death to the margins of our tidy little Western lives. And so we don't want to think about it because it's morbid. It's depressing. It's depressing. We don't know if there's anything after death. Our culture has told us that there probably is nothing after death, that when you die, you rot, your body goes in the ground, and it just decays, and your consciousness is gone. And so there's no, no real, real resolution other than you're just snuffed out like a candle. So that people like Woody Allen, you know Woody Allen, he quips, I'm not afraid of death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. That's how we deal with death, right? We joke about it. Or Aldous Huxley, some of you may know who he is, he was a brilliant man, a secular atheist, who basically said um, that you should ignore death to the very last moment of your life, and then when you can no longer ignore it, shoot yourself off up with morphine and shuffle off into death while in a coma. And what that reveals, actually, is that we human beings fear death. We're the only creatures that do. When I, you know, animals, they fear death in the sense that they understand there's something threatening their existence. But they don't fear death itself. They don't have a picture of a grim reaper like humans do. They don't understand the concept of, well, they don't understand consciousness, so they don't understand the concept of losing consciousness. And so they don't have the fear of death that human beings have. We are afraid of it, and so we try to deal with it, right? We say, we say, we say death is natural. That's what human beings, I, it's so funny, death is a part of life. Well, I don't know, isn't it the opposite of life? It's a part of life. I get what people are saying, that it's just part of how things work in this world. But to just say that death is natural, I think, is, is kind of unfair. We, look, you see The Lion King? You ever watch The Lion King? Simba is talking to his wise father, and he says, Dad, you know, why are we eating the antelope? Like, you know, they're cute. And he goes, well, yes, son, Simba, we eat the antelope. That is true. But, you know, one day we will die. And then we will become fertilizer for the land, and it will produce grass, and then the antelope will eat the grass. And so it's a beautiful circle of life. And we're all supposed to watch that movie and go, yes, isn't that beautiful? But the reality is, is that you know deep down in your soul, death is something ugly. Death is an invader. Why do you think Dylan Thomas, I put him on the front of your bulletin, Dylan Thomas was, a, was an Irish uh, an Irish poet, and he wrote this, do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. You're walking along a beautiful path along a river in the forest, and the sun is shining down, and it's coming through the through the leaves, you know, so it's all dappled and beautiful on the, on the path, and you're walking along, and you're feeling the warm breeze, and you're hearing the, the trickle of the, the stream beside you, and you think, oh, this is wonderful, right? And then you look, and just on the side of the path, all of a sudden, what do you see? You see the corpse, the rotting corpse of a dead squirrel. And what do you do? Ah! You recoil at that. It has invaded the beauty of the moment, 
It has shown itself to be an enemy invader. We understand and feel this intuitively as human beings. So Woody Allen, in a moment of much greater uh, honesty and openness, he said this in an interview. Listen, I always see death's head lurking. I could be sitting at Madison Square Garden. He's a huge basketball fan. I could be sitting at Madison Square Garden at the most exciting basketball game and they're cheering and everything is thrilling and one of the players is doing something very beautiful and my thought will be, he's only 28 years old and I only wish he could savor this moment in some way because you know, this is as good as it's going to get for him. The fundamental thing behind against death. It's absolutely stupefying in its terror and it renders anyone's accomplishments meaningless. That's very honest, eh? See, Woody Allen doesn't believe in anything beyond the world that we live in, that we see with our eyes, and so death creates a problem for life. At least he's being consistent, and he understands it, because, because your accomplishments mean nothing. When you die, Poof, you're gone. Your meaning in your life is lost because there is no absolute legacy for our existence. We're, we're gone. It's, it's always interesting, and I, you know, I, I'm not going to push this too far, but, but it's always interesting when you hear environmentalists talking about how desperately important it is to, to battle climate change, etc. And I, I believe in stewardship for very different reasons, I'll be honest, but I believe in the stewardship of, of, of the environment and the world in which we live. But they will say, you know, we've got we to gotta save it for the generations to come. But according to the secular atheistic mindset, there were some 13, 12 billion years of nothing before our existence. We've only been here for maybe a couple hundred thousand years, and then we'll be gone very soon because the sun will burn up, and then there will be billions of years of nothing after us. In other words, in the grand scheme of the universe, you and I are less than a blink of an eye, less than a snap of the fingers. Why are we trying so hard to stick around? Why are we trying so hard to be meaningful? Here's why. Because deep down in our soul, we know, we know death is not the way things were meant to be. Okay, that's point one. What a great start, eh? Uh, Death is an invading enemy. And yet, it doesn't just have to be understood that way. Listen, listen. To, to Simeon. Point two is, is that Simeon did not fear death. Now think about this. Think about if you were Simeon, okay? If you knew what conditions had to be met in order for you to die, how would you live your life? Wouldn't you live actually kind of in, in sort of a constant paranoid state, right? Always always looking over your shoulder, wondering if the Grim Reaper's coming to get you. Like, let's say you knew somehow that you were supposed to have two children before you died. What would you do? If you fear death, if you're terrified of death, you make sure you don't have kids. Maybe you make sure you don't fall in love because you want to make sure that you don't give your heart to anybody and you've got to live a completely isolated single life because otherwise you might fulfill the conditions of your death and then then it's coming for you. 
What do you have? A death wish? You don't, right? You don't want to have a death wish. So life actually becomes a bit of a, a living hell because you're always looking over your shoulder, always wondering if, if death is around the corner, if it's trying to, to make its advance upon you. But here's Simeon, and Simeon is actually looking for the conditions of his demise. He's looking for the Christ. He's in the temple on the lookout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And as soon as he sees Jesus, and somehow, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he, he understands who Jesus is, what does he do? Does he turn? Does he go, ah, and run? Never, I will not admit that that's the Messiah, and turn and run? No, he scoops this baby up in his arms, and he cradles him to his breast, and he looks down at this child, and he says... Lord, now you dismiss your servant in peace. Wow. You now dismiss your servant in peace. I am ready to die. I am ready to face the end of my earthly existence. Christ's incarnation, the coming of Jesus into the world, meant that Simeon was ready to die, and not just die, but die in peace. He didn't fear the coming end of his earthly life. It wasn't a terror for him like it is for Woody Allen. No, he says, I'm ready for this. How in the world is that possible? And the answer is because Simeon saw Jesus with the eyes of faith. When you see Jesus with the eyes of faith, you are prepared to die. You see it all over the New Testament. Stephen, in the book of Acts, sees Jesus with the eyes of faith, ready to die. The Apostle Paul, in the book of Philippians, is facing execution. He's seen Jesus with the eyes of faith. He's ready to die. The reason is because of what Simon says, Simeon sorry, says in verse 30. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation my eyes have seen your salvation. This is why Simeon does not fear death, because he has seen God's salvation. Now, we're bridging into point three already. Stick with me here, because this is not complicated, but if I don't do this well, you need to listen really carefully so that you still understand uh, what, what the point is. How does Jesus deal with death? How, he says, when he sees Jesus and he cradles Jesus in his arms, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. I don't fear death. I am ready to meet my maker. How do you make this connection? How does this all fit together? Well, what is death? What is it? Stopping breathing? I, yeah. Uh, your brain waves shut down? Yeah, sure, but what happens in death? What, when you see death, what is happening? What you're seeing is, is you're seeing disintegration, right? You're seeing, when you see a rotting corpse, you're seeing things falling apart, right? And that's why, that's why we recoil at it, because when we see a dead body or we even see a dead animal's body, we see it, we see it doing something that it was not meant to do. It was not supposed to come apart like that. It was supposed to be integrated. It was supposed to be put together. It was supposed to, to breathe life. And according to Scripture, that's how God made us. God made us to live. He didn't create us to die. 
He didn't create us with the specter of death hanging over us from the very beginning. No, he created us to be integrated, to be held together, to have integrity, to have harmony, not just physically, but spiritually as well. But the story of Genesis is that when we rebelled against God, when we chose to be our own savior and not live under God's gracious rule, but we wanted to to write our own check and we wanted to, to call our own shots, when we did that, we were separated from God. And death and disintegration came into the world as a result. And that's why when you look at a corpse, you see it going to pieces in it, and it's horrible and it's unnatural and you recoil at it. But here's the thing, Scripture says that spiritual death is infinitely worse than physical death. Spiritual death is when our soul, our very, the very core of our being, not just our body, not just our, our flesh and blood, but our core is, is falling apart. It's not cohering. It's not, it's not working the way it, it, we can't keep it together. Why? Because we are separated from the source of that coherence, God himself. See, when Adam and Eve left the garden... God said, you're going to die. When you eat the fruit, you're going to die, right? And Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit, and they're still alive. But what happened? They're physically alive, but they're, they're being separated from God. So first of all, they separate themselves from God themselves by diving into the bushes. He comes walking through the garden, calling for them, and they're hiding from him because they're terrified. But then he also has to ban them from his presence. He sends them out of the Garden of Eden. He causes the, the, the angel with the flaming sword to stand at the entrance so that they can't get back in. They haven't physically died, but they're already dying spiritually because they're being separated from the source of their spiritual life. Astronomers will tell you that our Earth rotates around the sun on a perfect orbit to sustain its life. If it goes off one or two degrees, or I'm not sure the exact amount, but if it goes off just a little bit, life on this Earth would cease to exist. We would either be so hot that we'd all burn up or it would be so cold that we all freeze to death. But as long as we say stay focused on the center, rotating around the sun, we live. And spiritually, Scripture says that if you you don't stay around the center that is God, if you go off kilter and you say, I'm going to go in my own orbit, thank you very much, and you you go spinning off into disintegration, you see, and so we die. But Jesus came. He came as the Son of God to free us. There's a place in Hebrews chapter 2 where the author of the Hebrews says this. This is verse 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and listen to this, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. The incarnation is that the infinite became finite. The eternal became temporal. The creator became part of the creation. That's that's Christmas. 
but he came for the purpose to free us from the fear of death. How? And here's the shocker, okay? Jesus steps into, you can picture, I think in pictures a lot to help me understand things. So think of a Colosseum, right? And in that Colosseum, there is the great champion, Death, the Grim Reaper, who has cut down every, everyone he's fought, and he's still on top. And in walks Jesus, our great champion, to defeat death. And you would think, well, Jesus is going to come, he's going to come, he's going to pull his sword, and he's going he's to spar with the Grim Reaper, and then he's going to gut him really good, right? And, and, and he's going to slice off his head or something like that. But lo and behold, what does Jesus, our great champion, do? He walks into the Colosseum, and he steps before the Grim Reaper, and he falls on his knees, and he bares his neck. And the Grim Reaper comes down with his sickle and puts him to death. And you think that all is lost, but the wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that death was defeated from the inside. It was by succumbing to death that Jesus defeated death. One of the great books, little, not even a book, a little introduction to a book by James J.I. Packer. Some of you have heard of him. It's called The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. And if you don't even, I don't care if you don't read the, you should read it, like, read it. It's really good. But if you don't read it, remember the title. Because in the death of Christ, death was killed. How in the world does that work? Because when Jesus went to that cross, when he was nailed to that tree and he was hanging on that cross, what happened to him? He experienced cosmic disintegration. disintegration. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, he was eternally ripped from the presence of the Father. You know how I was talking about being around the Son? He had spent eternity around the Son in, in a loving relationship with his Father, holding on to him and trusting in him and, and, and devoting himself to him and experiencing his God the Father's love being poured out to him in, in mind-boggling ways, ways we can't even understand. But on that cross, in that moment, he was ripped from his father and he was plunged into complete and total disintegration because he was separated infinitely from the source of love and life. And that cry was evidence of that. But you see, when he did that, he vanquished death because the power of death was gone. Where does the power of death lie? It lies in sin. I don't care who you are or where you come from. Deep down in places, and I did this quote last week, but I love it. It's so good. Deep down in places that you don't talk about at parties. The reason you fear death is because you are terrified of judgment. What if there's a judge? What if there's someone on the other end of that line? And when I get there, I have to face him. And I don't know if I can stand. And people say flippantly, well, I think I've tried to live a good life, and I think that, that God should let me in because I've lived a good life. But when you stand before pure holiness, is that what you're going to dare say to the, to the, the creator of the universe? I think I tried to live a pretty good life. 
deep down we all know it ain't going to fly. Sin. It's there. We hate it, but we have it. But the gospel is that Jesus removes it. He removes it. And so the power of death is gone, you see? The barrier between us and God, that thing that separated us, it's taken away. And that's why Simeon can say, I don't fear death. He says, dismiss your servant in peace because he sees his Savior. And Stephen, when, when he was being stoned before all those people who hated him for his sermon and, and he was facing death. He looked up and heaven was open and he says he saw the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. He saw Jesus standing there waiting for him and he said, Lord, receive my spirit. He faced death with strength, with poise. And, and the Apostle Paul, when he faced execution and he was writing to the Philippians and trying to encourage them, he basically said, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die. I kind of want to go because it would be better to be with my Lord, but if I have to stay, I will stay. Because at the end of the day, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what he wrote, Philippians 1.21. To die, he said, is gain. Now, here's the thing. For a Christian... Death is transformed. I'm not saying we all have a death wish and we should all just like climb on the roof here and do a belly flop and get it over with. What I am saying is a Christian can actually spit in the, in the eye of death and can say, you kill me and you only make me more alive than I've ever been. You hold no power over me. You have no strength in this place anymore because I'm reunited with my God and I'm reintegrated, you see? Last point very quickly, how can you face death with peace? We've sort of already been talking about it, but one other detail just to drive it home. In verse 35, just a strange statement, hey? Simeon says, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. He says that to Mary. It's a fascinating phrase. It's worth meditating on for the next six months or so. What does that mean? A lot of ink has been spilt about it. And scholars aren't entirely sure what it means, but, but at the very least, it means this. At the very least, it means this. You need to be pierced by the sword of the gospel. This story that Jesus went to a cross and he died on the cross, you have to be pierced by it, meaning you have, to, you have to come to the place where you see him there because of you. You gotta think to yourself, if I was the only person that ever lived on the face of the earth, it was just me, that was enough to put the Son of God on the cross and cause him to experience infinite Wrath, the infinite wrath of God. You have got to come to that place where you don't just think in a general way, yeah, Jesus died for sins. You've got to think in a very personal, individual way. He is there because of me. I put him there. Like the song says, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. You've got to be pierced by that. You've got to be broken down by that. 
But here's the thing. You've got to look at the cross and not say, just say, he's there because of me. You've got to also say, he's there for me. So you're not just pierced by your guilt, but you're pierced by his incredible, unfiltered, never-ending, always and forever, 100 proof love. You've got to let that pierce your heart too. Yes, you put him there, but, but he kept himself there for you, knowing everything about you. He died anyway. And then you will not fear death because, you see, when you are deeply in love, when you are pierced by the love of another so that your heart bursts with communion and devotion for that person, when that happens to you, you see, when you're deeply in love, separation is unbearable. You know, three years ago, a little over three years ago, my mother passed away, and it, it honestly nearly killed my father. And I've known that to some degree before because I've, as a pastor, sat with people who lost their spouses, but it's different when it's your own blood. It just is. And I watched my dad, and, I, and I, there were times where I thought, my dad will not make it through the next year. He's like a swan. They say that swans mate for life, and one of them dies, the other one eventually dies too from a broken heart. When you're deeply in love, separation is, is unbearable, almost unbearable, because there's an ache. Because when they died, it's like you died too, and you long for that reunion. Well, friends, through our death, we're reunited with our first love. Do you long to see him? Do you long to have the opportunity to finally grab Jesus? Like, this is one of the great gifts, okay? Like, I don't know how long the lineup will be, but in the new heavens and the new earth, like, he's physical. He's still physical. You get to go up to him. You get to grab him. You get to say, you get to say thank you. You get to put him in the biggest bear hug ever or fall at his feet and wash him with your tears. I don't know what you're going to do, but you get him again. And the way to that is through the doorway of death. And you don't have to be afraid. It's, it's amazing. I've, I've had the privilege of sitting with I don't know how many old saints as they were facing their own death and this serenity that comes over them as they say, they say, I'm ready to go home. And you're always like, what the heck does that mean? Like, you're in your bedroom. They, f they get it. I don't know. Maybe you can't get it when you're young. I, I want to. I hope you do too. This is what Simeon knew. That's it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you. That you have defeated death and we need not fear it so often we still do father but that's our own fault thank you for forgiving us of that and being patient with us continue to drive the gospel into our hearts so that we would not fear death and so that we can truly live because we don't in jesus strong name we pray amen